Welcome to the Back to Square Quan podcast with your host Chong and Kedrick. This is a podcast where we will have conversations about training, nutrition, and philosophy, taking you back to square one. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Back to Square Quan podcast. Today is a very special episode because we have a very uh, well-renowned lifter and coach with quite an extensive uh, sporting background. Currently a world champion in powerlifting, but formerly a volleyball player and also a bodybuilder. Welcome, Bryce Lewis. Hey, thanks guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I, I gave um, quite a brief introduction on, on your sporting background, but I don't know how many people know that you actually uh, had the bodybuilding history and like the volleyball history. I, I, I do think those are really, really interesting. I actually had a conversation with uh, some of my friends and we actually kind of looked at the current like number one lifters in USAPL and then we kind of tried to see, see how many of them actually had a sporting background uh, in like high school or even college and you definitely fell into those that had, right? Like for example, like Taylor Edward as well. Uh, like even like Ray Williams, you know. So yeah, maybe what you can do is you can share a little bit about your your sporting background as a volleyball player. I think the transition from someone who plays like American football to lifting is a little bit closer because you know you you see those videos where the like, weight the weight room yeah the weight room where they just shout at each other and do like power cleans that uh can. And, and the combine, yeah, the combine stuff like that, but with like form that almost makes make CrossFit look good, you know. So the transition is a little bit easier, <laughs> but I think yeah. people don't really know uh, what volleyball training is like, and and what why do you even have to lift weights, you know, when you when you're doing volleyball? So yeah, so maybe you can share a little bit about that to start with. Yeah, um, I started volleyball in tenth uh, grade in high school. Um, and I just, I saw a tryout poster on the wall and decided, you know, this looks fun. Let me, let me try it out. So my friend and I, uh, joined and it was really tough, but really rewarding. Like the entire time, um, training was difficult. You know, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever been gifted in the cardio, uh, realm and volleyball is really demanding from a cardio aspect. And so, that element was kind of always really challenging, but there's so much about volleyball to love. There's, it's kind of, especially indoor six person volleyball. There's uh, a lot of tactics, there's strategy, um, play is fast paced. It's athletic. There's high jumps, really fast swings. People get hit in the face with volleyballs. Like it's just, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it's really rewarding. And I, I, um, I fell in love with being a setter uh, early on where you're kind of like um, integral in every play and there's a lot of strategy and you have to do a lot of communicating and stuff. It's just a lot of fun. And I still feel like there's a lot of lessons from volleyball that have transferred into um, probably not directly on the athletic side, um, but certainly on the the mental side, just kind of uh, approach to sport and dedication. Like I think it's true that a lot of people say, you learn lessons about life through sport. And I felt like that was absolutely true in, in volleyball, but the, the training is really different compared to what we might see in, in football. Like 
upper body training is almost non-existent in volleyball. Um, even lower body training, like you, you don't need big legs to be a volleyball player. Um, most of these guys are six foot and taller. Um, and training is more focused on explosivity than it is on, you know, like brute strength or force production as it might be in, in powerlifting. And so, um, yeah, it's just an entirely different skill base being a shorter player. I definitely had to jump harder, uh, than everyone around me and just, you know, do my best to kind of keep up with the other players. Um, so if there's any element of transference, it's, it's probably that, but I think the, um, I don't know, maybe the bodybuilding played a larger role of transference into powerlifting than the volleyball ever did. Yep. yep. But I guess, um, how, how did you, f- I guess, fell in love with the, with the iron game and how did you actually transition from volleyball into sort of bodybuilding? Cause I know that before powerlifting was a thing, you were a bodybuilder. <laughs> how did that yeah, sort of transition I- from a team sport <laughs> Um, to something which most people would say is like a very me individual uh, work on my body and step on stage kind of sport. It's really, it's crazy um, how much of a role the internet played in all of that. Like uh, I, I finished high school and I, I planned to continue in volleyball, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't like seeking out colleges to play volleyball. I, I wasn't genetically gifted for that sport. And so it's not, you know, you can't do a whole lot at five, six with being recruited on teams or anything like that. But I did start looking around on bodybuilding.com for workouts to make myself, uh, be able to hit harder and jump higher and, and you know, stuff like that. I was really, my knowledge of exercise science at that time was very minimal. It's like, maybe I'll go on five mile runs. Maybe that'll help me, you know, let me just do what my coach was telling me to do in practice. Maybe that'll help me. And so, uh, I found the bodybuilding.com forums found, you know, the supplement section, the natural bodybuilding section, and really found a group of friends there, uh, who were kind of all training and trying to get stronger and sharing their own journeys. And this is kind of the, uh, the genesis of a lot of the online powerlifting coaching scene that first started off maybe 10 years ago or something like that. Um, Eric Helms and 3DMJ was born there. Salvation, Mark Lobliner, um, Lane Norton. Um, who else? Brad Schoenfeld. Um, there's one more I'm thinking of. The Diet Doctor, Joe Klimzowski. Like uh, kind of the start of online powerlifting. Well, online bodybuilding coaching started there. And uh, I just kind of joined in and thought, you know, this is fun. Let me try this. Let me... Um, try to get stronger or try to get bigger. And then, uh, it turned into more of a love for the, the iron than the bodybuilding, sorry, the iron than the, the volleyball and just slowly phased more into that. Um, started, uh, researching competitions, found a competition and ended up doing bodybuilding for a few years. And it, and it was really the online community that kind of, um, spurred my education, uh, my interests, and ultimately how I found powerlifting as well. Yep. That's, that's all really interesting. And like, I think having someone share their origin story, you know, like the superhero origin story is quite important because everybody, we come from different place. You know, I, in our introductory episode where we film, I said that, yeah, I have a very similar origin story to Bryce Lewis. I started uh, lifting 
because of volleyball. Uh, and and then I'm doing powerlifting now. Like, but the big difference is that I'm nowhere close to being a world champion. But it doesn't really matter to me. But uh, it's like yeah, you know, you might start from the same uh, similar spot, or you might start from a different spot. But we we can end up very differently. You know. So you know when I was uh starting out, right? It's it's like went into the interwebs, look for how can I uh, improve my volleyball performance and then found upon, oh, cool, if you wanted to jump higher, maybe you should do some some resistance training for your legs just to make it stronger. And then that's actually how I started like lifting weights, you know, contrary to popular belief where the bros go into the gym and do chest every day, I actually started squatting first. So mm. that, that was how I, I transitioned. And at the end of the day, the day, like falling in love with iron more than uh, volleyball, uh, and I think it was also slightly better because where, where I was in Malaysia, our courts are all outdoor and we have oh, like yes, quite crazy true. weather. But whereas the gym, right, is like, yeah, rain or shine, as long as you can get to the gym, you can like lift weights. So I think that was a, a big yeah. factor for me as well. And you're right, you know, the internet does play a huge role in in the coaching scene, even back then, right? Now it's like, like the role the internet plays is for everything, not just coaching in general, you know, just everything in general, you know, uh, is, is huge. And for yourself, when you transition towards being a bodybuilder, I think a lot of times you would see, like looking at how the internet evolved, like there's more like hostility then, sorry, more hostility now, whereas back then it's like, cool, right? Everybody, we are in this like club together because, you know, I, I'm so glad I found someone that has this interest which might seem it's weird like a, you know? it's like a small niche little cult yeah you, um, you, that everyone goes to yeah you just unknowingly went into this found your, your group of friends you know or like and then right now everybody's like i i don't want you to like be a part of my my tribe so perhaps you know you can t- talk a little bit and share with us your experience you know with like when you transition as a bodybuilder surely like being like accepted into the crew was there like any what is your like rite of passage or is there anything that your initiation moment where you Mm, say cool i am finally gonna make the smartest smartest decision decision in my life and start posing in trunks on stage (laughs) right what went through your mind what made you decide to pull the plug on that that's a great question um I love this thought about like this rite of passage and joining the community and stuff. And, um, I, I do think there's a difference between someone who trains like a bodybuilder and someone who actually diets down and steps on stage. Like, you know, you can say you're a bodybuilder, but like truly there's a difference between the people who train that way, regardless of how shredded you are. And if you take that next step and get up on stage, you buy the posing trunks, you try them on take the weekly progress pictures, send them to your coach, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's totally different. And I, if there is a rite of passage, I think it's that it's that first competition, regardless of how well or poorly you did, you, you made it all the way to the end. And I, I do know a lot of people who started a prep for a bodybuilding show and never finished it, you know? And so it's one thing to kind of get out the other side and, and, um, get on there. It was some novice competition in Northern California that ended up going to, and, um, yeah, it, it, um, I still remember it fondly and 
you know, all kinds of stuff went wrong and I was not very lean, at least compared to like the standard that people today are like, it's unbelievable how even novice lifters have shredded glutes. Like it's blowing my mind. Um, and you know, you learn a lot on the way, but, uh, that's definitely kind of that, uh, that rite of passage before you, you get accepted. I'm not sure what getting accepted really means. Um, because, you know, people treat you basically the same way, uh, whether or not you were before, uh, or after, but yeah, there's, there's something different there. Yeah. I think it's like that whole aspect of that internal perception on, oh, I'm part of something now versus I'm kind of getting there, but not really like for me to sort of call myself as a powerlifter. And I do remember this is like, oh, I'm in training for powerlifting. Great. But I wouldn't call myself a powerlifter per se until I actually ended up doing like my first ever meet. And it's mm-hmm. kind of, and, 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 it, and I tell people that like other powerlifters who are more experienced than me and they're like, oh no, it's fine. Like, you know, you're still part of the crew, but internally you're kind of still like, oh, I'm kind of with the group, but I'm that odd one out who doesn't take that, that jump or that leap. Mm-hmm. And I think, um, I, I guess a lot of novice bodybuilders, powerlifters, or even crossfitters, I guess, do, do kind of feel that we see this, right? Like in the general population, for example, people would go to crossfit gyms and they would call themselves i'm a crossfitter but you're, you're kind of but you train like a crossfitter but you haven't really took that next step to actually go yeah. for like a like a full ward you know or like try to beat that time to maybe qualify for your local games or something like that and i think um that's always a very interesting sort of dynamic i think internally for someone Competing in CrossFit yeah, there's... is a whole different animal, by the way. So I've, some people, I mean, most people may not know, but I actually did one CrossFit competition <laughs> and I'm glad I didn't make it to the next day because I was just wrecked <laughs> off the day one. You know, like you have like, I mean, there's like some research out there showing right now, like cool, right? Uh, cryotherapy probably impedes muscle growth and like adaptations, you know, uh, but when you're a CrossFit athlete and you have multiple competitions back to back, you know, you, you, you want all that ice water you can get, right? You want the cryotherapy. I don't care about muscle gain because the next day I feel so sore. You know, I have CrossFit coaches coming to me asking, what do you think? How should I do it? I said, like, yeah, just go ahead because you feel absolutely sore. Competing in CrossFit is a whole different animal. So yeah, sorry yeah, for cutting you crazy. off price, but yeah. No, that's okay. Um, I watched a fascinating documentary about the, CrossFit games at some point and they show like this kind of behind the scenes of like the aftermath of the competitions. And like, I had no idea they were back to back and, you know, you just like these athletes are so beat up by the end of four straight days of competition. It's unbelievable. And not to mention training to be competitive at CrossFit is dramatically different from like training in the style of CrossFit. It's like three times the workload and you have like, three times the number of skills to learn and stuff like it's I my heart goes out to the people who really want to be competitive CrossFit because um, there's an insane amount of demands uh, put on them and, and you know you think you've got a dozen skills ready and then they're like well you know we're doing deep water diving today so have fun with that guys um, or, or you know whatever the case may be in the CrossFit games and so they're always bringing new things on people yeah and the thing with like bodybuilding and powerlifting at least i feel like that every sport would have its mental challenge and i know you're you're big on the mental aspect of stuff but i think 
for yourself, I think the mental aspect of volleyball is very different. Like, you cannot prepare for every single outcome because one, it's a team sport. You can handle yourself, and even as a setter, right? Uh, I I, I played a spiker, right? So, as a setter, you would know that it is so important for you to actually set the ball right, you know? And the reason why I play spiker is because in Malaysia, I'm quite tall and I cannot set, right? I, I'm the kind where it, like, always brute strength, which is great for spiking, just see the ball high enough, smack it right down to the, the other court. But for setting, your brute strength doesn't, doesn't actually help you there. And for yourself, you're like, cool. I think the setter also doesn't get like enough credit you know because when you set up for a really nice spike and the spiker if they makes it to get like oh my gosh that spike was amazing but dude like if the setter cannot set that the spiker will not be able to hit the ball you know so for yourself like as mm-hmm. a set like in volleyball being a setter you can control yourself but there are other factors you cannot control you can't control uh how your uh your teammate would hit it whether they'll make the jump or whether they'll trip or you can't control what the the other team would do, you know, but when it comes to like bodybuilding and powerlifting, it is very, a very, very controlled element. Like there are, you know, you're going to squat three times, bench three times, deadlift three times, you know, bodybuilding, you know, is that like, cool. I have this set of poses that I practice. I step on stage, I execute those uh, set of poses. The uncertainty is much, much less compared to like, for example, uh, volleyball, like, and things like that. So, as you kind of like transition right from bodybuilding towards now like powerlifting, do you as those two sports are like slightly closer to one another because the events are more sort of like controlled? Do you besides the obvious fact that you don't have to uh, feel small and at one point just uh, absolutely like starving and losing all like your cognitive whole sense of life, yeah, your sense of life, <laughs> your, your cognitive process? Have you? found uh what was like the biggest transition for you right from bodybuilding towards powerlifting and what made you decide to take the plunge you know because i always tell people that powerlifters are just uh people who wanted to do bodybuilding but don't want to pay attention to nutrition i always like have that joke (laughs) it's it's true yeah it's true but for yourself that's clearly not true because you you stood on stage and then you decide to be like cool let's go down this uh, route. Yeah. I know you have this perception of, uh, of powerlifters as being the people who really don't want to diet, but my reason for doing powerlifting was that I didn't want to diet. <laughs> there you go. Um, no, there I'm, you go. I'm exactly, I'm exactly the meme. Um, I, I had fun bodybuilding. I enjoy the training of bodybuilding, but dieting for six months out of the year, with that level of control out of the year, I just kind of like, maybe it wasn't this clear, like in the moment, but you know, in hindsight, kind of looking back, you think like, what is the next five, 10 years of my life going to look like? You know, I'm 21, 22 or something like that. If I really want to take this seriously and, and, you know, be a bodybuilder, um, what's the next 10 years of my life going to look like? And it's, it's, a hell of a lot of control of nutrition. It is food as fuel. It's probably saying no to, at least at the time. I mean, things have changed a lot in terms of like how coaches talk to bodybuilders about nutrition. But at the time it was, 
um, saying no to a lot of uh, experiences and events and, you know, bringing Tupperwares out to occasions. And, and I didn't want that for myself. And, and at the same time, I, I had done, so my first powerlifting competition, my mental thought process was, oh, this is just in between my bodybuilding shows. You know, let me just try out this powerlifting thing and see what it was like. Um, so it, it was really just kind of, um, uh, attesting the waters and, and I was pretty good at it. And, you know, if you have a more attractive option, so like I talk a lot about burnout from powerlifting and, and one of the, um, one of the things that feeds into burnout is more attractive options than whatever you're being burnt out from. You know what I mean? So like, let's pretend you're a tennis player and you're getting recruited for basketball as a tennis player. Um, that is going to feed into how excited or not you feel about tennis. You know, you have this other option that seems to be more attractive in the moment. And so for me as a bodybuilder, powerlifting was starting to look more and more attractive. Hey, I can experience success. I can enjoy this thing and I get to eat. That all sounds great. Sign me up. Uh, and so that was, that was kind of the, the logic. Mm. Yeah. I, I actually have a really interesting, oh, not really a question, but I think it's something that, well, us three coaches and I think yourself as a world champion, we tend to see this quite a lot. And there's this quote that floats around the internet where it's like, if you know you're good, you know you're good. Like if you know your world caliber or world, like a world champion caliber, you know that. Um, and sometimes we, we see these sort of like younger athletes, like you said yourself, um, when you start to feel that burnout, something's a little bit more attractive. They're like, oh, I'm going to pursue this because I think I'm going to be better. I think this is a more sort of like a, a more attractive, let's say, sport for, for, for the context of it. In in your case, though, like when you actually felt like powerlifting was something that you truly enjoyed because of the no dieting, eat whatever you want, train hard. Was there any point in time where you actually realized that, hey, I think I made the right choice, not just because it's something I enjoy, but I know that I'm actually that 0.5% or that 1% of the cream. I'm not just another bodybuilder or another powerlifter, but I'm actually really damn good, like world level good. Like, has that ever crossed your yeah. mind? Like when you, when you decided to take that plunge or was that maybe one of the reasons that you were like, oh, actually this is the right choice to take the plunge because I am really good. Yeah, no, it wasn't that way for me. Um, you know, it, it kind of seems like, oh, high level lifter, um, you know, like it just, my, my current level of strength is kind of the way things always were, but no, like I've been making kind of steady progress for a long time. And so back then my numbers were very, very normal. I looked around me and saw other people with very similar numbers. And of course I was making, you know, steady progress very quickly, but like I, I didn't have any concept of high level powerlifting as a competitor. It was really just kind of about the training and getting stronger and stuff like that. Being highly competitive only came much later. My first national competition was only about, uh, halfway between where I am today and when I started powerlifting. So half of my entire time powerlifting has just been, uh, training, doing local meets, uh, you know, talking to other people, learning, um, today, sure. I, I grant that I'm definitely in the, the top of, of all powerlifters 
uh, you know, winning a world championship is something few people ever get to do. It's getting more and more competitive every yeah, year, especially with um, the US Nats coming up and everyone hasn't lifted for a year. And it's like, ah, oh, this is the year I haven't, I haven't stepped on me and been in a me for a while. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I, I recognize that too, but um, at the time it certainly didn't seem like that. Mm. So I guess in regards to that, like we you obviously transitioned over to powerlifting and enjoy training quite a fair bit. And I, you post a lot of this on Instagram and I complete and I can completely relate like burnout. I think like what's the average lifespan of a powerlifter? I, I know Bryce and Kedrick, you guys coach more powerlifters than I do. Like was it like like three years, five years, maybe give or take? Yeah. Um that's a good question. Maybe it's more like, I don't know. It's probably in that range. Yep. I, I, what do you think, Edric? I, so I've not been in the scene as long. So my longest athlete is probably like with me, has, has been with me for four years. But the thing I noticed for some people as well, and you can definitely share about this, and I have a question that could you could uh, personally relate to, would be they have some like this expectation where like this is the meat you know it's the same thing like 2020 is going to be the year and then COVID you know? Sheffield <laughs> you know? and then COVID happens right but and for the powerlifters that this is going to be the meat and then something happens and be like yep powerlifting is I'm not going to do powerlifting anymore right so I do think mm-hmm. that a lot of my athletes uh, one they would say for the younger athletes that I coach they would say cool I'm in this for the long game, right? And then, but how they approach things doesn't really uh, reflect their, what they tell you. I, I do get it. If someone tells me, cool, I'm going to be powerlifting for two years because this is a, I only have two years, right? My role as a coach uh, is that, cool, if you, I will support your decision as long as we're not doing anything too stupid or crazy, right? And say, I have two years to spare. I want to try this. After two years, I want to try something else. The approach would be very different from someone that says, I want to be in, in it for the long term, but I also want to be great at every single meet for the next two years, right? So while mm-hmm. they both might have the same feelings on how they f- would feel with, in that two years, uh, but the way as a, on how you coach them would be, would be quite different. So I find that not, not actually being able to manage your expectations would often lead to burnout because you feel like whatever you've been doing is uh like oh it's actually not worth not worth it anymore because one powerlifting we don't have financial incentives and things like that and it's actually not uh that appealing because you're not actually like shredded and stuff you know i mean for the most part right so burnout the average i, I really cannot pinpoint a number but i would say it's around there but for your case it's very different you know because you would never you will not born out 105 champion Bryce Lewis. I mean, I, I, I sure hope you're not born out as a 105, right? Baby, because that'd be a really big baby. <laughs> that'll be, uh, uh, that'll be rough. So you had this period where you were a 93 kilo lifter, right? And then you decided to move up a weight class, right? What made you move up? And maybe you can share your experience as a 93 kilo lifter, how competitive you were at that time versus how competitive you are now and how long did it take for 
Bryce Lewis to be like, cool, I may be at a top 10, 93 kilo lifter. Probably never going to crack top 5, but I'm going to move up to 105. And now I'm going to be maybe not even top 20 for a while. Maybe you can share that with us. <laughs> you know, I think sharing your your values, process, right? Your yeah. value after a peak, right? In the 93 kilo class, dropping down before going to a higher peak. I think that would be a very valuable uh, resource for all our listeners listening out there who have actually thought about, I am not willing to let go uh, how good I am now, even though I know that I can be better. Yeah. It's it's hard uh, to, to talk about this. It's hard not to talk about this without talking about um, the role of social media and Instagram. Uh, when I... When I had my first national championship in 2014 as a 93 kilo athlete, that was the first one I'd, I'd uh, ever gone to. I'd done, you know, a few high level competitions before that. I did a raw unity meet. Um, but this was kind of like the first thing that I viewed as like a major competition. Um, Instagram was in its infancy. Uh, and so you don't see the top 105s. You don't see the top 93s posting their training on a regular basis. Occasionally people would post videos on Instagram, but there wasn't the same type of sharing culture uh, around lifting as you see today. You know, now if you want to like, say you look at a, a list of the roster of, of who's going to USA powerlifting raw nationals, choose any name, you can find them on Instagram and you can find their training and you can take a look at their training. You can take a look at their numbers and how slow or fast things are moving for them. This was not the case in 2014 when I was kind of making this decision to be a one of five. So the, the question about competitiveness wasn't really like, Oh, those guys in the one of fives, they're hitting these numbers. Uh, I think I could do that in, in this amount of time. Uh, you know, maybe it'll be a little bit low and then we'll go up there. It was really just kind of like a, a gut instinctual reaction of I had a shitty meat. I don't want to have a shitty meat again. Uh, the cut probably took a lot out of me. Maybe we'll go up and see what happened. And my coach thought it was not a good idea at the time. We talked about it afterwards. Um, I've since changed his mind on this about, you know, people going up in weight and also increasing their Wilk score or whatever the coefficient you want. But at the time he was kind of like, yeah, Bryce, you know, try it. But in the back of his mind, he was kind of thinking like, he'll, he'll learn. He's going to see that, you know, he'll be a 93 keel lifter. It doesn't work that way. Um, and you know, I was able to kind of help him be a better coach for other people and, and, you know, at least provide him an N equals one example of someone who goes up in body weight and gets more competitive. And so, um, it wasn't about comparing against other people. It was more just about, well, this isn't working. Let me try something else that might work better. So what you're saying is basically Eric Helms is human and he can get things wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's yeah. what Kedrick needs to um, to know. Because obviously Kedrick's <laughs> like, ah, oh, there, there's, yeah. there's chinks in his armor that I can exploit while I'm doing my PhD. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'll, I'll give you some more juice while we're on this podcast. You know, this what we see today is like a God, God version of, of Eric Helms. But um, I remember when Eric Helms gave me like, like a, a, a adjusted version of a West Side template back when he didn't know how to program for powerlifting. You know, like he was a specialist in bodybuilding. And, you know, asked, I forget who he asked, like, Hey, how do you program for, for powerlifting and, and ended up giving me an approach that, you know, worked really well. But 
that just wouldn't happen today. You know, it would be like the same thing as someone coming to me and saying, Hey, make me a strongman training approach. I'd be like, okay, well, I, maybe I could do it myself, but let me talk to someone who probably knows better. And let me give you that approach. Uh, it was kind of like that. So there was a point where he was not as, uh, intelligent and all knowing as he is now. Yeah. 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 Interesting. The juice. Um, thanks for the, the dirty details. Um, you got it. And yeah, I think it's, it's, it's crazy because, um, going into the, a little bit, like we've transitioned and gone through, gone through time, you know, and we're currently at, uh, Bryce Lewis 2021, you know, one Oh five. And it, we, we talk a lot about social media and it is quite crazy how much an impact social media can play. I mean, if we talk about powerlifting specifically, we know that there are lifters who don't post their stuff or like just go AWOL before a big competition. Some of them like completely go off Instagram. Um, but some of them would just like keep posting or some of them would even like post their lifts that are not really what they hit, you know? And they're all, mm-hmm. they're all kind of lifters like that. And for you, uh, as an athlete who is at the highest level in the sport of powerlifting, you are not uh, you are not immune from the ill effects of social media. So I think you've mentioned before on on some of your posts like a while ago that it's like yeah you know like and you you do get affected by people posting stuff sometimes and like viewing other people right and how do you think that uh, for for lifters out there who are just starting, it 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 really isn't that encouraging for someone to be like, oh man, I I want to be good, but now I'm looking at all these people, right? I just and they're lifting like that, and to also compare their progress with their own, right? That is that is probably like the worst thing you can do for for yourself. What would your advice be? And coming from yourself using something really like personal is that raw nationals is coming. And then, you know, I think King of the lifts, uh, they do a good job promoting the sport, but for people who are like really not new, not immune and new to the mental effects of this, like King of the lifts can actually ruin them completely. You know, like, I mean, right now you have, uh, the one Oh five class, you know, I'm with who I'm with who, then you have like the, the, the fantasy league and all these podcasts and predictions, right? For yourself, I think the biggest thing for you uh, would probably be, people would be like, oh, like Ashton Rouska moving up to the 105 from the 93 kilo class and then taking on like Bryce Lewis, you know? And sure, we, we, we know that you, you can see his lifts on social media and stuff because he posted up, right? How does that play into how you approach your training? And that is for your on a more personal for you and on a more general note is that how should people uh sort of like handle information yeah. like that on the on the personal side um it's all i can do to like try not to look at these things because uh i know there are a few other lifters in fact you know we're starting up a podcast where we want to talk about some of the mental side of of sport and um, I know for instance, Taylor Atwood almost embraces it and uses his competitors as motivation to be a better lifter. Mm. I think that's the exception. I think most people, when they see that stuff, it's either a distraction or, uh, like a negative self-evaluation that can occur, you know, like we're looking at training and I, I think the, the thing is that 
oftentimes you compare your worst to someone else's best. And, um, that's a hard thing to do on a regular basis. So yeah, like when it comes to Ashton, um, I like we're friends on Instagram, but like for the most part, I mute his stories and posts. So I don't see it. Um, nothing against him as a person. I just know the kind of effect that has on me. And so I just not, I don't look at it. And same thing with basically anyone strong in the 83s to one Oh fives, you know, and like, Hey, you guys are all great people. Uh, I just have to make a decision for me and my own mental health. And you know, what I typically do is try as much as possible to focus on myself. So the advice that I would have for people like stay the hell off of Instagram I, I used to be more ambivalent about this, but like, so like, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. The counter argument someone says is like, well, look, there are all these people that are great role models and you can learn a lot of information and you can look at their technique and you can learn a lot about technique. Sure. But there are so many other places you could get that stuff. You know, like go on YouTube, uh, search like perfect deadlift technique and you'll find a hundred thousand videos that you can, you can look through. Like you don't need the social media and constantly being bombarded with that kind of stuff, uh, to be a good lifter. You'll feel better about your own progress. Um, you'll find more reward in the intrinsic journey rather than the numbers. Uh, I think just generally it'll be a better experience for you as a lifter. Yeah. I think like what you said, Bryson, I can completely relate it is a very, it's a very sort of like stoic approach to sort of social media right and i think you hit the nail in the coffin there where like you can't really control what other lifters do maybe it's their best peak maybe it's their best prep cycle and maybe this is your worst peak and your worst prep cycle and i don't think there should be well it's easier said than done but it shouldn't deter you from trying your best to eke out as much as you can being dealt a, a bad hand in the last let's say 12 weeks 16 week prep right and with with social media it can be so detrimental i guess especially for a lot of quote-unquote young lifters who might not have that mental resilience to go and scroll and say oh cool i you know i'm a 66 heel lifter um this was when let's say charles okapoko was what champion i was like oh, cool, Charles did this. Or uh, most recently, like, we see like so many 66 lifters and King of the Lifts go like, oh, they're deadlifting basically like 290, like 300 kilos. I'm sitting here like, if, if this was me like five years ago, I'll be like, yeah, now nah, I'm done. But right now I'm just going, cool, that's really impressive. And I just kind of move past it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of younger, well, again, like in air quotes here, if you're watching this in video form, younger lifters need to potentially uh, take lifting especially if they're very if they want to make it a more competitive thing a more stoic approach because um like kedrick and and you talked about bryce powerlifting and bodybuilding it's not like volleyball it's a more Mm -hmm. individual setting i think the struggle there isn't to kind of say oh is my teammates going to show up today and and give me the best set so i can make the best spike it's more so can i show up today and not have social media hinder my last day of my peak where i'm mm-hmm. gonna be squatting my rp9 and all of a sudden i scroll past social media i see someone taking my intended rp9 for five reps and i'm like well f- you know fuck this like i'm i'm <laughs> that that rp9 doesn't really matter anymore and i think that yeah. is a big big thing and um how how would you go about 
obviously you're a very high level coach and you know you talk a lot about the mental side how how do you think would be or what are some good approaches to sort of or maybe tips or actionable steps that people can take as a as a lifter to say use social media as a tool as social media but not have it be such a big thing to a point where it's actually a hindrance to your performance but rather just staying connected like do do you Mm -hmm. have any tips with your lifters yeah so so what we've been talking about is essentially upward comparison so comparing to people who are better than yourself um if you ever want to feel good you can engage in some downward comparison which is comparing against all the people who are worse than yourself but we don't typically follow a ton of people who are worse than yourself so you only ever get the one side of the equation you know like this is one thing that social media does primarily in uh, beauty and stuff, you know, like all, all we see is perfect lives and perfect bodies and and things, but we're just taking that and applying it now to, uh, to the strength side of the equation. So limit what you see. Remember you control the flow of the information. You control what your eyeballs see ultimately, and you get to decide and essentially just have a little bit of awareness as you're scrolling. Um, if you're scrolling and you think, um, Oh, this doesn't make me feel good. Uh, don't just kind of leave it as is, you know, you get to decide maybe I shouldn't look at that again. Last night we were watching an episode of handmaid's tale and, uh, there's about to be some torture scene coming up. And, uh, I just got up and I thought, you know what? I don't want to watch this. This sounds like not a good use of my time, you know? So just as you're engaging in social media, just have a little bit of awareness about, um, what you're interacting with. The other thing that's really important is to make sure that you celebrate the good as well. So um, take some time to recognize all the things that you do that are good, whether that's gratitude journaling. And, uh, you know, just sometimes I have people write down three things that went well during the session or one thing that they really like about their technique or something like that, or, you know, every training cycle, like make sure that you take a look back and see the rep PRs, just basically kind of appreciate your own journey. It can be very easy to just let that stuff go and slide and say, oh yeah, well, it doesn't matter because so-and-so just did 290 on their deadlift. Um, Bring it back home and make sure that you are looking at what's actually going well for you. That can be really important too. Really good. I I do think something that just came to my mind is that I don't think I know any of any and I'm open to being wrong and corrected. I don't think I know of any top-level powerlifter who started powerlifting, looking at social media and said, cool, these are the people like that. I'm going to keep, because of this, I think I can do this and become better. Like, I don't like their fixation on certain numbers done by other people. They don't like, cool, because of this, I'm going to be a powerlifter and I want to be a world champion, mm-hmm. you know? I, it's funny you say that because that's how I started powerlifting and now, and, and now, to kind of going through that journey, I was like, oh. I used to think, oh, I could probably do the world record. But like right now, I'm like, nah, that's never going to happen in my lifetime. And I'm content with, with the idea of I'm never going to step be a world's competitor. Yeah, I, But I think I'm content. Yeah, And a lot of people need to be that way. Th- I th- definitely. I think that, you know, people who always think that, oh, I'm going to be a world champion, right? Like, I'm not sure how many people who just started lifting and say i'm gonna be a world champion actually end up being a world champion i don't know yeah. like i i i think it's quite funny because now you can like draw a comparison i think there are studies out there that actually show that 
people who want to go into politics actually become the worst like leaders, like the worst politicians, you know. Hmm. But I think there are studies out there that people who actually doubt themselves to have leadership qualities actually became become really good leaders. Kind of like reminds me a little bit about like, yeah, and when you start out as a young lifter and you say you want to be a world champion, I do think that that pressure, that enormous pressure that you're putting on yourself right at the start would just absolutely crush your dreams because like you said, you you have burnout. And then at that moment, you're kind of evaluating the rewards you reap from powerlifting, which is my reward is, my ultimate reward is world cha- to be a world champion. It's like you play a fight, like a Final Fantasy game and you need to find that secret weapon at the last, you know, like there's always this like level 100 weapon, but it's not like something where you can craft, but you have to find it. But you don't need that game, that weapon to win the game, right? But if your goal is to only find that weapon and you can't find it and you don't finish the game, you're literally like, cool, right? I don't actually defeat like Sephiroth or whatever the last Final Fantasy boss there is. So I do think that coming from a place of, uh, I think like what you said, introspection is really important. Looking at how you, um, if there are certain things that make you feel a certain way, I, I, I think it, make you, it makes you feel a certain way for a certain reason. And then it's not, you shouldn't just say, ah, all right, I'll just sweep it under the rug. But if it makes you feel a certain way, you kind of like reflect, why is it making me feel a certain way? And then from there, you can, yeah. you can kind of like yeah. uh, build on from there. And it's, uh, it's interesting because now that we kind of like talked about uh, your, your, how you approach certain like thought processes for yourself as a lifter. And you also shared a little bit about how you, what you tell your athletes, you know? So do you find a difference? Because from what I'm gathering is you use a very like soft approach, right? And with, and I, I understand this is a general approach, right? But do you sometimes use like a harder approach with some of your athletes? Like, nah, right? I mean, like you, sometimes you just, for lack of a better term, you just got to suck it up and know that this is never going to happen, right? Because I, I have had athletes like that and obviously it's very uh, different because after trying, like, let's say the soft approach for five times and the person is still like, cool. Every single time the person tells me, I feel like I'm not progressing, they say, why? Because so and so and so is doing this and five times in a row, he will tell me so and so is doing this and out of three out of five times, three times would be the same so-and-so, the same person, and you know you're not getting towards that person with the soft approach. Then do you take like maybe like harder approach at uh, certain times with some of your athletes? Um, I haven't been in that situation to need to take that harder approach. Um, like I can envision how that conversation would go. Like, like I don't give a shit about what that person is doing. It's, it's absolutely relevant kind of information. Um, but I do think that a really important role of a coach is framing expectations of progress. What is good? What is bad in terms of expectation for progress? How do we navigate that? Because if all you ever see is people making 20 kilo PRs on, on just their squat in training cycles on social media, you come to expect that that's the norm for you when that, uh, may absolutely not be the case. And so one thing that coaches need to do is just kind of set the expectations of like how much progress do we really expect? And so very early on when people join us, it used to be the case more, but we still see it sometimes people ask how much progress can I expect to make? And that's kind of our first input to have this conversation of look, it's really variable. Uh, we don't know you as a lifter. Um, 
However, something in this vague ballpark, influenced by tons of factors, we're going to focus on you and make decisions as we go along. Um, take it or leave it, essentially. You know, like no guarantees for progress. Establishing that, you know, supporting the athlete to the best of our abilities helps prevent those kind of things. But um, you will nevertheless get people who are disappointed by looking at their friends progressing faster than they are. And those are difficult conversations to have, you know, like it's, it's certainly not easy. Do you, do you like ever use yourself as an example of certain times? I think you are like the best example to use because you are, like I said, a high level coach and also a world champion. Do you ever use yourself as an example? Be like, cool, right. There are times when I'm not as good as my competitors. Right. And obviously not, from the perspective of trying to like toot your own horn, but like now this is where I am. And how I came to terms with that was using this set of tools. Maybe it's useful for you. Have you ever used yourself as a personal example with the athletes that you've coached? Uh, I try not to uh, just because I know that I'm uh, stronger than most people that I work with. Mm uh, with one exception. And so I think that it might make someone feel worse than feel better. Um, however, as much as possible, I try to share the tools that have worked for me, like the gratitude journaling or how I dealt with burnout or how to deal with social comparison and things like that. That stuff is very, very valuable. In fact, you know, I started learning about burnout because I was experiencing it myself. And so I thought, well, hey, I'm experiencing this. Other people must be experiencing this right now. Let me learn more about this thing. Yeah, totally. Well, I think there's there's always this great quote, and like Kidrick said, you're one of those examples, Bryce, where you're basically a world-level, world-class lifter, but you're also like a world-class coach, and there's always this term getting thrown around where best lifters don't make the best coaches or best coaches aren't necessarily the best lifters. And to sort of throw another wrench into the works there's always the second quote where um do as i say not as i do right mm-hmm. uh, um yeah. how do you and you know for for those who are still figuring out who coaches bryce lewis mr eric helms does but how do you figure out or is there a point or do you still do this where you would have certain attributes being bryce the lifter and having that crossover like a venn diagram like a gray area being Bryce the coach because I, I see this personally like I would tell my my athletes to be like okay cool like you missed the top single last week don't worry about it why well because you broke up with your your girlfriend like I don't expect you to hit that number that you wanted to hit which is fine but then when I go and hit my top single when on my own training I'm like oh fuck I missed it I'm like shit <laughs> okay I, I, I'm like okay I know I know that I'm sick. I know that I'm going through stress. But I need to somehow miraculously tell myself to say that's okay, which is a much harder thing to do than telling someone else to say, hey, you're stressed, it's fine. Versus telling yourself, hey, you're stressed, it's fine. It's like a completely different thing. Do you feel like there's some overlay um, in those attributes that um, have between Bryce the lifter and Bryce the coach? It's always very interesting. Um, I, I sympathize entirely with what you're saying. It's so much easier to tell other people the right thing to do than it is to tell yourself the right thing to do or to give yourself perspective or a little bit of grace or, or anything like that. You can be so much harder on yourself than you can be on other people in your, in your role as a professional trying to help someone. Um, 
it's important for me to keep these roles distinct to the best of my ability so that I do a good job um, for them. So this kind of manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Number one, um, whether or not my training is going well, um, I need to do the same job for athletes, you know, so I, I can't let bad training affect what I do for athletes. Um, I can't program for athletes the way that would make me strongest just because it makes me strongest. So like that, that was an early lesson I had to break. Like, you know, not all athletes need low training volume. Like I need, let me, let me go ahead and adjust that. And, um, making sure that I'm kind of technique agnostic, that there are many different ways to achieve high levels of technique that are very different from the way that I personally lift. So, um, figuring out what is ultimately best for the athlete exclusively is individualization. It's not how to make people like Bryce. It's how to make people their own best. Um, and so that was another way that I had to kind of separate uh, coach from athlete. But I think you're talking about this uh, other way of going the other way of taking lessons that you've learned as a coach and applying them to yourself. I was just talking with Sean Noriega about this yesterday. I feel like if I was a dumb athlete who knew nothing about programming, I would be a better athlete um and that oft oftentimes a lot of the knowledge that i have as a coach interferes with my ability to just like be dumb put a weight on the bar and lift it and not think about technique uh as much or programming as much or anything other than you know heavyweight go lift you know just i feel like it would be simpler that way um but you know you can't go back you can't uncork the the bottle Recork, recork the bottle. Recork, yeah. Or you can't put toothpaste back in the tube or something like that. Right. Yeah. All those. Yeah. All, all that. I, it's de definitely interesting as well. Like at the end of the day, you know, I do think that like the psychology of an athlete plays such a huge role. You know, everything we talk about, you, you do fall back to the level of like psychology, you know, like, oh, you know, if my, my baseline psychological level is like, cool, I'll just put the bar or put the weight on the bar and lift, then you feel like you'd be a much better athlete. But the, the, the big question is that um, whether you would even think that way if you, right? Because you might not even be able to think that way, you know? Because like, I, I like I like this like philosophical quote where they say that uh, a man cannot step in the same river twice because after the first time, neither the man nor the river is the same, right? So you can't actually mm -hmm. like say, yeah, who knows? But yeah, we, we, in unless in a counterfactual possible world, you know, you probably would never know. I I do think that it, it is important as well. And I think one last part you can talk about and I think it's a perfect way to to wrap up is like um I know like what's next for like Bryce Lewis and TSA, right? We talk a lot about coaching and we the industry as a whole as power powerlifting as a whole is growing quite rapidly, right? We see a lot of people offering coaching services and just because of the nature of social media and how unregulated fitness is, anybody can be a coach as long as you lift a certain amount of weight, right? So for TSA, for Bryce, who has, you, are, you have been in the industry for a while, what's next for for you, for the, and yeah, for TSA and perhaps if you have any thoughts on how do you think uh, for out that for all the lifters out there who are coaches themselves, what are some like practical tools and tips to be better coaches? Because obviously, I do hope that every 
coach out there, this is my uh, idealistic me, is out there to improve the uh, politics industry, industry and the community, not to make a quick buck off someone who is uh, ignorant. So yeah, maybe you can just share a couple of your thoughts on those matters. Yeah. Uh, on the TSA side, we're looking at launching a new um, type of coaching for people that uh, you know, I've been semi-resistant to like a lower cost, more generalized programming for, you know, ever since I started TSA in 2013. But I think I've gotten to the point where I can do it right and provide real value for people. So I've been working feverishly on that. Um not a whole lot to say until I, I am a little further along in that. Um, but I'm really optimistic. And I think that uh, a lot of the templates that we see people run are just far too generalized. And um, I want to try to solve that in a, a really meaningful way that helps a lot of athletes. Uh, while at the same time, making it more than just programming. There's communication. There's kind of motivation and community and, and things that if I was in that situation would be important to me as a person. So, um, that's the goal on that side of things, along with kind of some continuing education for me as an athlete. Um, a lot kind of depends on how things go at nationals in a few weeks. Uh, if I win, then the goal is world championships, depending on what happens with USA powerlifting and the IPF. Um, but if I win, I'll be on cloud nine for a while. It will be an insanely uphill battle and I think it'll be close. Um, and I'll absolutely do my best, but you know, we'll see what happens. All I can control is myself, you know? Um, however, if I, if I lose, uh, I think I might want to diet down to 93s and, uh, I haven't been below 225 for a few years now and I'd like to be leaner for a little while and um, see if the added muscle mass I've built in the last six years or so has an effect on me. So um, just a little different challenge, especially, you know, with uh, some time to kind of rebuild and, and reframe goals. And then as far as advice for coaches and, and stuff like that, I'd be... So I think of like, um, think of science when science, uh, first started out and science was largely like a, a singular effort of one scientists, uh, pouring over tons of books and trying to figure out, uh, you know, things that are true about the world, you know, like these kind of, uh, stories of Galileo and Copernicus and Da Vinci and things and, and, um, we know science today is very, very collaborative. Um, I would be interested in seeing uh, more collaboration in powerlifting coaches to, to do better for athletes. I think each powerlifting coach has a lot of insight that they've picked up from their experience working with athletes, but um, doesn't really ever go anywhere other than the, I don't know, 20 to 70 people that they end up working with at a time. Whereas I think perhaps powerlifting coaches could put their heads together and really make things better for everyone as a whole through some kind of collaborative projects. Mm -hmm. 100%. I, I'm completely on the, the side of collaboration as well. I've had conversations with like Mike T in the past and we just talk about stuff on how we can collaborate, you know, like it's essentially problem solving. And like, I know that you're part of like some like master class group or something, but when I had this conversation with Mike T, we are literally just, thinking out loud, like, cool, cool, what, like, these are certain things that we have, right, what are possible, right, 
solutions to it. And I think that's that's really valuable, you know. Uh, and yeah, definitely looking forward to having more of that uh, amongst powerlifting coaches. I mean, between uh, like your coaching company and my coaching company, I think, and a lot of us, we, we, we can definitely help improve the community better. And yeah, so one last question before we do it to close up is, uh, if you could take uh, a lifter, right? For example, if there's a new lifter, uh, who wants to be good at powerlifting, right? Or maybe even great, right? Take it all back to square one, right? What would be something you would say, this is what you should be focusing on if you want to be good or great? Mm -hmm. uh, all right. So I, I think the modern trend for powerlifting is uh, geared very much toward a high amount of competition specificity and not a whole lot of focus on uh, accessories. I really benefited early on and I still advocate for lots of non-specific hard bodybuilding training. Like spend your early time when you have all the hormones at your disposal, like just getting big uh, because it's going to raise your ceiling in the long run. You can spend all the time you want learning technique down the road. You can spend all the time increasing specificity and increasing frequency and things like that down the road. But like just go hard on leg press, dumbbell bench, machine chest press, like get basically huge be, for a while. Basically be a bodybuilder for the first yeah. basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like coaches even say that right now, but when they go to program for people, it doesn't look like that. You know what I mean? So there's there's still this disconnect that we see. Um, so I, I think those types of things are really valuable for a lot of people. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think so too. But from what it sounds like is like Bryce Lewis, 105 might go to 93, might do bodybuilding, might go back to volleyball, come full circle. <laughs> it comes full circle. <laughs> so it sounds a little bit like that, I, Bryce. <laughs> yeah. If I get to 93, guaranteed I'm playing some volleyball. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for the time. I uh, really appreciate having you on and I think our listeners would, benefit greatly sure. from it and yeah it's great to hear perspective from a coach a lifter and someone who has done both at a high level so yeah thank you very much Bryce uh, before we close I know for those that I mean most of our listeners would already know where to find you but for those that do not what is the best way to get in touch what is the best way to uh, find you um, yeah, so our website is thestrengthathlete.com. Um, we got coaching there. We're actually temporarily full on weekly coaching for a little while, but we'd be happy to work with anyone over 10 to 12 week training cycles. And uh, I post a lot of random musings and stuff like that on my Instagram at Bryce underscore TSA. All right. And that is all for today's episode. So for all our listeners out there, don't forget to like share subscribe whatever on whatever platform you're using and we'll catch you all next time peace